In a world where three pudgy middle school history teachers discuss random aspects of history. Uh, I got nothing. Oh, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah, I, wait, who you calling pudgy? Yeah, man, that's, that's kind of rude. No, 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 I'm rude. Welcome back, everybody, to episode two of the History Bros Podcast. I am Jason Rude, sitting in Iowa. I've got uh, two buddies here that you probably recognize, or at least their voices. You probably wouldn't know them if you saw them on the street. I got uh, Brian Gelmacher down there in St. Louis, and I've got Jason Hatfield. Yes, he is the famous one. Uh, just look him up; you'll find it on the internet. Good uh, God. <laughs> This it's is just going to be the running thing here, right? This is just going to be me. Hey, and Jason Hatfield, you might know him from Wikipedia. <laughs> it, it works for me. How about, does that work for you, Brian? Yeah, I'm totally down. You know, I, I just want to say to all of the, the dozen listeners that we have out there. Hey, we're at 69. These, these, these two guys are just the epitome of just, just horribleness. <laughs> they're, they're, they're bullies and I, I cry myself to sleep pretty much every night <laughs> I resemble that, I really do <laughs> it took you that long to figure it out <laughs> well I looked all over Wikipedia <laughs> oh my lord well I tell you what guys I don't know about you guys, I am I'm beat where I'm in the first week of school and uh, it's a bit of an adjustment coming off. I don't, how about you guys? How you doing? Uh, I'm in the not in my first week. Uh, I'm starting what if we had a full first week would have been my third week, but we only had two days the first week. So oh, look at him, half, brag. Weeks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how about you, Hatfield? Oh, me? Uh, it's been just a grueling first day. <laughs> Well, <sighs> honestly, that I mean, just walking into classes today and it's just like today. I mean, just uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's great. That's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm curious, though. How many um, how many kids do you guys teach like in total? Uh, whew, let's see. I'm at a pretty smallish private school. Uh, let's see. Probably no more than 50. In a day, mm. and that's over, even with the key, uh, the uh, computer class that you're teaching. Yeah, that, I mean that's over like uh, yeah, over five grades average. Yeah, no, fifty fifty five. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, rude. What about you? Uh, I have a total of right around one hundred and fifty total, but I never have them all at once. I either have the seventh grade or the eighth grade, but never both seventh and eighth grade at the same time. Um, right. So about seventy five at a time. Okay, yeah, I've got about one hundred and twenty. Yeah, um, about that. So. And your your eighth grade? Yeah, um, yeah. It's about a, it's four classes, about less than an hour, uh, a little less than an hour apiece, and um, averaging about twenty nine, roughly twenty nine thirty kids a class. There's, they the the first couple of weeks tend to be a little like you've got kids that are still enrolling and so oh, the numbers wind up yep. changing. And so there was a couple times where I had about uh, 40 some kids in my, I actually had to teach in a completely <laughs> different room. Wow. Oh, I thought you were going to say you actually had to teach. Uh, 
No, I just I usually say, okay, well, uh, here's a computer and uh, just look up something. <laughs> uh, here's your topic for the day, and if you can come up with uh, three three facts, I'll give you two points of extra credit per. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. <laughs> No, it's um we you know it's I don't know the uh, the kids though this year are, um they're pretty they're they're pretty good um, some of them that were in the seventh grade last year I was um, having to cover uh, for teachers that were out on the seventh grade hall so I was in there and some of them were you know treating me like I was a sub like I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> and then I walk into <laughs> classes today and I see them in my classes and I'm just kind of like, well, <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> See, I, I don't have that problem. I am um, up until this year, I was the only guy in the core classes in, in the five, eight building that I'm in. And so my voice projects pretty well across like the entire the entire building, if I have to, like we put them all in the, in the old building, If I put them in the, all in the auditorium. I didn't need a microphone to, to get them, to get their attention. So they all know who I am. Um, but yeah, what they find out is, as you know, I'm, I'm actually not as bad as they thought I was. I'm actually, mm. much, I'm actually much worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's my bad joke for the day. I, I, yeah, it's okay. It's allowed. Don't worry. <laughs> um, now nah, it was there'll interesting. Be a, there'll be a few more bad jokes. Don't worry. Oh, well, I guarantee you that. So one thing here, you know, <laughs> no, 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 not on this. No, no, not on this podcast. No, absolutely not. That's that's absurd. <laughs> One of the things that I do today. That was my actor voice. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, what oh, was it? Was that the Wikipedia? No, that was the IMBD voice. Yep. Yes. The, how do you say it again, IMB, Jason? IMBD. Did I say that wrong? IMDB, Internet uh, Movie Database, yes. not a BD. Oh, hmm. geez. If you're going to give me a hard time, at least get the letters right. I'm so sorry. So it's I am DB DB yes. Internet Movie yeah, Database. Yes, you are. Okay, think okay. about it. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I got it too, but I didn't say it. <laughs> I don't mind people busting my chops and all, but you know, let's mm-hmm. at least get some of the information in order here. Okay, okay, oh, <laughs> you got it. Sparky. So sorry, <laughs> we're Sparky. so sorry. Uh, well, I was. Um, you know what? I'm just going to hop on and write some nasty things on my <laughs> Wikipedia page about both of you. <laughs> Dear Diary, Jason <laughs> Bryan have been so mean to me. I can just. Oh boy! I can't. All right. So the first segment we have is this day in history. You're right. I'm sorry. Okay. I I, I got a couple here. We can we can start with. I know uh, uh, Hatfield. You got a couple to throw in there. Um, mm-hmm. there. This honestly, it was a very active week in history this year. Or not this year, uh, this this last week. In in the year seventy nine, Mount Vesuvius erupted, destroying Pompeii. That happened. That happened. Uh, in thirteen oh five, this one is. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Uh, Mel Brooks, I think not. Mel Brooks. Mel Gibson probably didn't like it. <laughs> is there a difference? <laughs> Th- Mel Gibson, Mel Brooks, you know, <laughs> both accused of anti-Semitism. You know, it's you know, six and one half dozen the other. Well, yeah, but 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 get, uh, Mel Brooks is actually a, a Semite, right? He's a Jew. That's that was part of the joke there, Jason. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I got it. Oh, sorry. Oh, thanks, thanks, Brian. <laughs> at least at least you're here with me. Well, anyway, <laughs> just squeeze my hand when you get it. Will it in thirteen? <laughs> 1305, 
William Wallace is hanged, drawn, beheaded, and quartered in London. I don't think they ate him. <laughs> I see what wow. you did there. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, we're tying the episodes in together. I see that's that. right. It's, it's a callback, right? No, it's uh, that's that's one of those scenes in a movie where you're like, uh, I don't want to see the rest. Please don't. Please don't pan down, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh. You know, one of the things that I was surprised that they left out was um, at the in that movie Braveheart, which I understand is not necessarily. There was a bunch of is, there was a bunch of issues with I think the the clothing like that wasn't exactly historically accurate or some kind of stuff or the face paint. There was a whole bunch of things that were with that, but the fact that all of his friends apparently at the end of it kept begging him to pull himself together. <laughs> I think that was their homage to what happened to him. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Is that too soon? Is that, that too was. soon? No, okay. That, no, I okay. think you're good. You're good. No, 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 no we're good. Fine. We're good. In 1814, all oh, that William Wallace always coming apart under pressure. No, mm. no, that's tension, mm-hmm. pressure, and tension. Two different things. All right. So, uh, how about that Vesuvius thing? That's crazy. <laughs> In 1814, <laughs> British troops under uh, General Robert Ross capture Washington, D.C., which they set on fire in retaliation for the American burling, uh, burning of the Parliament Building in York or Toronto, the capital of Upper Canada. That's that's one of my absolute like favorite stories that um, Madison uh, had, you know, he wasn't in town. Dolly Madison was, you know, knew the troops coming in and she had actually set up their dining room table to eat. They were going to have like a a dinner party. And once they found out that the troops were coming into town, they gather up all their stuff and they run out. And then the British troops come in, they sit around the table, they have a nice meal and then they torch the place. I don't know. There's just something that's like, there's something, I mean, the kids are kind of like, man, that is just awesome. You're right. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think I knew that story. That's fantastic. Oh, I know. It's it's the most like just gangster thing. I think they're just oh look at this. Oh, I say this meal is just so delightful. Put that torch down, Gerald. You know, and then they you know, they eat, and then they completely burn down the Capitol building, which um, Jefferson actually donates a lot of his uh, personal library to to revamp the. Um, the Library of Congress, essentially. Oh, wow. Well, I don't know and, if it was um, donated. I think some of that was sold because he was in such debt. Oh, yeah. No, he did sell it. He did sell it, which still did not get him out of debt. I mean, that no, man. He died million, like, few, like $2 million in debt. Oh, yeah. Wow. N- not the best penny pincher that Thomas Jefferson. No, something about. So here's a story. So here's a story. About a guy named Jeff. That sucked. I'm sorry. Don't please don't sing. Please no, don't I won't. Sing. I suck at singing, Oof. and I won't. I will not continue. Uh, I won't Thank be you. fooled again. Anyway, uh, so if you go to Monticello's uh, Teacher Institute, they get into this stuff pretty heavy. But yeah, they talk. Now I lost. Oh, I know. So Jefferson, like, <laughs> just to to talk about his extravagance and what he was willing to spend. He loved French wine, and who doesn't, right? But uh, anyway, he could order it in casks, which would be much cheaper, or he could order it in bottles. But he knew that the uh, ship workers knew that the casks could be tapped, and they would drink some. So you'd only get like 70% of what you actually paid for. So he'd order it in bottles just to make sure that the ship workers could not drink his wine. So Jefferson was not a Costco guy is what you're saying? No, no. He wasn't going for bulk. I get it. No, not well. It was in bulk. It just was expensive bulk. You know, I actually still have that bottle of Madeira 
Do you really? That, that I bought, yeah, when nice. we were in Williamsburg. Yeah, we. Um, uh, that's the only place I've really been able to find it. That was one of Jefferson's favorite types of wines. And when we were in Williamsburg, we found a bottle. Actually, my wife and I had found it when we were there in December. And uh, when we were there this past time for the Teaching Institute, I went up and picked up another bottle. And it's just, it's. Nice. I mean, it's basically... Uh, it, it, it's it's not as widely popular anymore because I think there was some sort of um, virus that destroyed a lot of the, the vines and one person actually mm. tried to salvage some of it. So like a port wine is kind of what uh, uh, took its place. Gotcha. But, oh. um, but yeah, I still have it. We haven't even opened it up. So it's um, yeah, still nice. Good. I mean, well, in- but yeah, I was just, that was always one of uh, Jefferson's favorite wines and, so um, when we were there, I'm like, well, I just want to try this and see what it's like. And it was, it was very meh. Yeah. I thought you liked it. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it's good. It's not the kind of thing that, I mean, it's, it's kind of sweet, um, it, but it's, um, know, it's, you know, it's. Oh, I hate I mean, sweet I guess it depends on what you're into. So. Yes. Because sweet things are so terrible. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. Ah, sorry about that. I, uh, Am I supposed to say something or you say something? <laughs> I think this is where I say I'm sorry. Uh, so in 1945, Conf- we need to get one of those little <laughs> kind of like um, whatever you call them, the little spinny things. I don't even what are, not not kazoo's, but what are those called? The kazoo? Is it like a slide whistle? Well, or that. No, the little ones that you kind of uh, you blow into and it spins on the inside and it does this kind of, oh, I mean, I just I did it twice. Oh, Yeah, here I am talking about the burning of Washington, D.C. and I can't even figure out the name of a crappy plastic whistle thing. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. All right. It's fine. So in 1945, this one's kind of interesting. Conflict in Vietnam begins when a group of free French parachute or free French parachute into southern Indochina in response to a successful coup by communist guerrilla Ho Chi Minh. Wait, wait, what do you mean free French? So that's what they called themselves, the free French. Oh. I'm assuming like the it, same free French that were fighting just you know, just the same year in uh, in Europe? That's my guess. Why did they, why so, they call themselves as opposed to the locked up French, the imprisoned right. French? Well, know. yeah. What did the Germans do to the French? We're going to yeah, go. Oh, this is the 40s. 1945. Oh, okay. Okay. I got you. I got you. <laughs> it all comes so this, together now. Is this where Vietnam starts? Is that, is that what we're saying? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Wow, another story I didn't know. That's didn't know cool. about that one. I found, yeah, found it on there. All right, two more quick ones for you, and I'll get out of the way because I think uh, I think Brian, or not Brian, uh, Hatfield's got one. Ninety-two, uh, Hurricane Andrew makes landfall in Florida. That was a big deal. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand, and there's another one on its way now. That too, is that true. They are afraid it's going to. Um, oh. Hit again. Go ahead. And in 2007, I got a sports one here. Most runs scored by any team in modern MLB history as the Texas Rangers thumped the Baltimore Orioles 30-3. to Yeah, that's a football score right there. That's like a high school football score. That's a, that's a lot of three-pointers right there. Yeah, I mean. That's an ugly football score. Yeah. And it's a baseball score. That is really bad defense. <laughs> I mean, that's like uh, there's a lot of goals and. <laughs> um, yeah, stuff on that one. They're really. I mean, I know, I know my sports, and that was a, that's a lot of uh, <laughs> that's a lot of 
Uh, we can stuff. tell. We can sport tell. Ball. Well, wait a You're second. A sport ball guy. You you were at a baseball game on Saturday night. I know that because you sent me a picture. Right. He knows his baseball. Yeah, I know my stuff. I know my stuff. That's what I thought. Sort of. Yeah, I mean it was. It's you know they had a whole bunch of uh, some guys in tight to, pants ran out. Uh, <laughs> Conversion nope. points nope. and uh, nope. high stickings nope. and um, a lot of the hole in ones. Nope. Again, nope. 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 So, anyway, moving on. So, <laughs> these two nuns walk into a bar. Whoa. Whoa. You think the second one would have ducked? <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> That's my whole Archer smoke bomb thing is is that joke. So that's well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Hat, you. Thank Hat, you. Hatfield, did you have a, a contribution for this week? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple um, okay. that on August 24th, 1869, uh, Cornelius Swartwout, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, of Troy, New York, received a U.S. patent for his stovetop waffle iron invention. Ooh. Oh, cool. Thus giving birth to waffle houses everywhere. <laughs> um, the earliest waffle irons uh, apparently originated in the Netherlands in the 14th century. Okay. And um, on August 26th, 1883, one of the most catastrophic volcanic eruptions in recorded history occurred on the Indonesian island of Krakatoa. Oh. Aha. What a name. Explosions were heard between two to three thousand miles away. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, they said uh tidal waves um up to about 120 feet high killed approximately thirty-six thousand people. Holy cow nearby islands. That was what says uh five this was in uh the Indonesian island of Krakatoa in 1883 just to put it in a, a little bit of perspective you know 1883 we're talking about 20 years after the uh civil war yep sure. roughly mm-hmm. uh and um it also had 5 cubic miles of earth were blasted into the air oh. holy cow that's crazy yeah wow that so, was one um, torqued off mother earth that's um. It's uh. It said it blasted it up to a height of about uh, fifty miles. Jesus. So yeah, that's I can't. I mean, I remember growing up when Mount St. Helens blew. Yeah. And that was like a huge deal, but that's compared to Krakatoa. Well, you are really old because I don't remember that at all. Was that nineteen eighty? It's fine. It's not a competition. Huh? You know, huh? I get you're old. It's and it's not a you know. Huh? I don't remember that at all. I was only four. Huh? So. Wait. Huh? Was that nineteen? 19- Let me turn on my hearing aid. Was that nineteen eighty? <laughs> Was that who? Was it 1980 when Mount St. Helens blew? Um, I don't. I, I'm not exactly sure the date on that one. Okay. Well, either way, I, I, I was. It's okay. I wasn't born, so that's okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I, I'm saying. What are you I'm, trying to say? Same thing I said last week. I'm the young one. <laughs> it's not. It's not the years. It's the mileage, baby. <laughs> that is true. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. I suppose we should get into our topic for the day here a little bit. Uh, yeah. So the uh, the um, the the trivia hint teaser whatever that we had was um, the history brothers ask what could spoil a perfectly good day at the beach and the French say I give up. Mm. Typical. Which was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Was it really? Yes. It was. Okay. 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 I enjoyed it. 
But uh, of course, um, and uh, we didn't have any correct answers for this one. We didn't have any answers for this actually. So, um, but uh, the answer was, oh, uh, anyone? D Day. D Day. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very nice. As Hitler so, said, um, as Hitler said, I did not see that coming. Oh boy! Wow. That's not not that's, that's, not not good. That was rough. Oh, too, yeah, too much. Bad. Maybe it stings the nostrils. <laughs> Maybe better, better back it down a little bit. Yeah, please. That was. Uh, <laughs> was yeah, I did oh, not gosh. see that coming either. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so or D Day, D Day. <laughs> Well, um, we had been talking about this uh, prior to, and a lot of people are going, wow, you guys are going from James, Jamestown in 1619 to D-Day? That doesn't seem like a logical step. But, you know, that's how this is going to roll. Yeah. And um, uh, Brian had actually been talking about uh, discussing, like, you know, not only just uh, D-Day, but uh, the film Saving Private Ryan, which mm-hmm. um, I wound up uh Rewatching again on Saturday, and I got to tell you, it's still that's probably one of the first war films that I remember watching. You know, for for like World War II, that wasn't like this kind of go, uh, glorious sort of John Wayne kind of thing. It really showed <laughs> a, a, just a horrific experience that they went through, and it's just sure. an absolutely amazing, amazing film. Yeah, oh, I'm with you, uh, absolutely on that, and. Uh, 11 Academy Award nominations. They won five of them, including uh, Best Director, Cinematography, Sound, Film Editing, and Sound Effect Editing. And yeah, like you said, it. it I will never forget the first time I saw the first scene. And uh, <laughs> the first off, you see the guy laying in his own intestines, and then you see the guy that bends over to pick up his arm that's been blown off. Sure. And it, it doesn't get much more real than that. Right. Um, they... Uh... When they previewed it to some veterans, uh, you know, clearly, I mean, the veterans were emotional and breaking down and they they had to do the obligatory you know, interviews post post uh, showing, asking them how they felt about it, you know, for for movie purposes. And uh, a lot of the veterans said this was by far the closest thing we've ever seen to what it was actually like. I can believe and you know, you know, they wouldn't have been able to show it to the extent that it was because there would be no way that you'd be able to commercially oh, sure. show oh, a film right. like that. I mean, right. just the people blown to pieces. And I right. mean, I mean, even my wife, you know, she was watching it. She was like, I cannot believe anyone survived an attack like that. And, right. and that's, that, that's one of the things. And, um, I had actually talked to a friend of mine. Uh, he's sort of my go-to person, a friend of mine from college named Roger Justice, who just, his father served in the Pacific, and um, he was telling me some information about it and just how a lot of the um, – um, he said that many of the troops um, on the Normandy beaches for the Germans were mostly Poles and Russians that were prisoners pressed into service. Sure. And that um, – uh, many of the commanders, uh, I think Hitler was asleep when all this was going on, and many of the commanders were on their way to other areas or um, Rommel's, uh, in Rommel's case, it was his wife's birthday. 
Right. So I don't think that uh, the Germans were really taking the uh, the landing altogether that seriously. No, well, they didn't. Um, yeah. They were very convinced that the uh, real attack was coming uh, at a place called uh, Calais, which um, is just up the coast uh, a little further east um, from Normandy. Uh, and actually, there's a good reason for that. And, Rude, I think you're going to talk about uh, the ghost army, if you will. Yeah, I can do that. Well, so there's there's two things. And you'll have to help me with the – I forgot to look up the numbers, the unit numbers. But um, the uh, first off, I believe Calais is the narrowest spot in, yeah. The, yeah, in the English Channel. So that was the first thing they were looking at. Um, as as part of that, the, who the, who was looking at the Allies or the Germans? Well, the Germans believed that it was the easiest route for the Allies to take uh, would be from from the uh, crossing at the cliffs of Dover over to Calais uh, because it was the shortest place between two pieces of land. Correct, and and so the Supreme Allied Commander uh, Eisenhower and his his staff were basically counting on that. But to help right. set that up, they used something called the Ghost Army, which was technically the first headquarters special troops. Yep. Um, and basically what they are is an army of uh, artists, quite frankly, and performers in the biggest of ways. Uh, they yeah. would do – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It's fine. So they would do visual deception. They would do sonic deception. They would do radio deception. So what do I mean by that? They had – Tanks, all kinds of tanks, but they weren't real. They were all inflatable. Mm -hmm. And then they would take – what? go ahead. Were, were, were any of these – did this actually help to divert any forces to that area at all? That's what they think because you had these – you had the tanks and all these other pieces of equipment um, that would make it look like that. And what they would do is they would give the impression through their sonic deception. So they'd have recordings of tanks and other armored stuff and the actual people that would be, that should be in those divisions. And they would essentially be become reenactors in the moment, but they'd give the impression of where there's probably a thousand people. They'd give the impression of having 10,000 people there and they would do the same thing with radio deception. And they would go on mm -hmm. and basically send fake radio signals through this. And I mean, we're talking about like, I think it was Frank Capra, one of them. He might've been, I, I was, uh, I was watching a, I was watching a documentary on Netflix about, uh, yeah. the filmmakers that went over to Normandy. And I, I don't remember if he was there, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. I think that, Oh, well there's the, 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 the something five is one of them, but then there's one called yeah. the ghost army. That one is okay. fantastic. Uh, and I think Frank Capra and there's a, a couple I know Frank Capra was doing some like uh, films to kind of I don't want to necessarily call them propaganda films, but I know that he was he was shooting films and stuff like that for uh, I think is for generating some sort of support for the war in some capacity. And that could, that could be. But yeah, there's like some major there was a made. Uh, oh, Louis, Vu not Louis Vuitton. No, maybe not. There was a major uh, future uh, style person, like um, clothing designer, that was part of this. It was it, it's hmm. nuts. There's like five. Oh wait, for the Germans? No, for the Americans. Oh wow, okay. I and I can't find the list right now. I'm having a hard time finding the list of who those people were. But I mean, it's it's just amazing who was actually involved in all of that. Um, yeah, uh, why we fight was a propaganda World War II uh, propaganda film that uh, Frank Capra. Uh, directed for okay. that but um i know i did read also uh now that you're bringing that up that okay you know the ghost army was using you said inflatable tanks yeah 
and it was supposed to be uh, a very effective push um, for the Americans to get the Germans um, kind of sidetracked. But um, a lot of French children were using them as bouncy houses for their birthday parties. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that definitely <laughs> happened. <laughs> but they, that was a the thing. They, they would only do it during. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really expecting more of a laugh on that one, but that's OK. They're not all gems. They're well, not I, all I gems. I thought so, you were so saying this. You know, it doesn't have to be everybody at once. Just I, people, I, you know. I'm sorry. I, I took you as serious and I should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me to just completely disrespect all this. All right, so go ahead. <laughs> uh-huh. It really is just tongue-in-cheek, people, because, I i mean, my uh, grandfather was uh, uh, an MP in World War II, but this was in, um, I believe he was in California. I don't think he actually ever was in Europe. But um, he, um, I mean, it just what they went through, um and you know we can talk about this in a future episode but uh the interned uh, japanese americans and stuff like that as well who also went right. to go fight in europe it's i mean there's so many just amazing just horrific stories because this was truly a global conflict and yeah. i don't think any of us can wrap our brains around something um happening on that kind of scale right exactly and uh, exactly, and getting back to the other movie we were talking about, uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, it does a great job of showing just how big of a scale. And of course, they're only looking at one beach. I mean, Brian, you've been you've been to Normandy. How many beaches were we dealing with here? You're talking about five total beaches. Um, I, I don't know the mileage of the beaches, but uh, you're talking about Americans coming over uh, at two beachheads. You're talking about Canadians coming over on one. Um, and then British coming over on two others, um, you know, 100 and, 150 to 160,000 soldiers uh, on the beach, uh, coming across the, the beach that day at any, any of those five points. Um, so just massive as to be unbelieved. It's, it was ridiculous. Not- and they were each uh, codenamed Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Correct. Not to mention all the paratroopers that jumped in behind enemy lines in the night ahead of that. Right. Uh, not only not only C-47s, but uh, C-47s filled with paratroopers pulling gliders in some case uh, with paratroopers on gliders because it's easier to pull a glider than it is to operate another plane, which is, you know, just imagine the forethought there. I mean, just a... Oh, yeah. Especially with all the flak and stuff like that going off, right. the anti-aircraft sort of stuff, and a glider. I mean, that's kind of like... Right, right. Here's I mean, which also brings me to, you know, you do have the Saving Private Ryan, but, you know, we can certainly not overlook the brilliant Band of Brothers miniseries, oh, too. Yes. That, which, uh, I'm yeah. not going to lie, I probably watch it three or four times a year. My wife, oh, yeah. will, say, my wife will walk in the room and say, really? Again? <laughs> Really? <laughs> it's brilliant. It is so it is, good. It's, so it's, it's it's amazing. She um, said the same thing when she sees me watching Saber Prime and Ryan too. It's you know it, it's hard not to watch this film. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and just here's another thing that that throws me way off when I think about it. We have radios today, right? So if I want to mm-hmm. talk to somebody and coordinate something, I, we just get radios and we're good to go, right? Or we got cell phones now and all that. These people had, at best, rudimentary radios, and yet they were able to coordinate over a million men 
in how many different places to do this and not just do it, but do it all at the same time. That is mind boggling to me because I can't even sometimes get 25 kids in a classroom to do the same dang thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, it wasn't without issue. I mean, there were paratrooper misdrops all over uh, Normandy. I mean, it, it was it was rare to find a paratrooper who actually landed in the place he was supposed to land. Right. Exactly. There was, um, and also, um, I had uh, read about this too uh, recently that uh, they had a, a D Day dress rehearsal called uh, Exercise Tiger, um, in which is, seven. Is this the uh, the Slapped in Sands? Yes. Okay. And uh, about, I think, 749 U.S. troops were killed yep. uh, while they were trying to do basically a, a dress rehearsal for Normandy um, on an English beach. Uh, two months before, so D-Day was uh, June sixth, mm-hmm. uh, forty-four. So this is two months prior to that, and it says that uh, seven hundred forty-nine U.S. troops lost their lives after a fleet of German e-boats caught wind of the mock invasion and torpedoed American tank landing ships. Yep. And they said that uh, some of the survivors uh, talked about Exercise uh, Tiger as more terrifying than the D-Day landing on Omaha Beach. Oh wow. Oh yeah, I believe that. Hmm. You know, it just it's it's just nuts to me. The the Go ahead. Well, no, I'm just thinking how do you I mean, it's like one of the largest, if not the largest, amphibious landing in world history. Mm-hmm. You have to try and practice this once. I can only imagine just the sheer amount of I mean, cuz you ha- I mean, just the sheer amount of money, let alone that it would take uh, not just the planning of it and trying to do a dress rehearsal, this kind of stuff. Cause you know, you're having to, you know, use fuel, you're having to use, you know, resources and all that kind of stuff to do it. And uh, yeah. I know um, Eisenhower was um, willing to take full responsibility um, if the entire thing failed and you got, I mean, you're thinking, okay, you know, I've got this lesson plan that's probably going to fail or probably do good. I'm not entirely <laughs> certain. But you're talking like hundreds of thousands of people that are going to attack Fortress Europe. Exactly. And how many of those people that you know, uh, however, there's going to be high amounts of casualties. You know people are going to die during this. Exactly. And I just, you know, that sort of mentality of, planning something like that and saying okay well this is what's going to happen and i'm sending a whole bunch of these people i hope it works but regardless <laughs> of if it works or if it doesn't there's a lot of people that are going to die in this and that's right. i mean that's uh that's a pretty heavy weight to carry right exactly i mean how do you mm, exactly yeah you bomb in a classroom sure you feel like, like crap but the, you know the next day you're fine but yeah you bomb this and it changes the course of history yeah absolutely literally yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, there was a lot on the line here, and it was a huge yeah, risk. Yeah, you, you don't do this again. I mean, you can't you can't just organize a, a major offensive like this for six months down the road. I mean, this is something that was planned. Uh, you know, you're looking at at least a year, and by then, I mean, you have to think that the Germans were probably well on their way to nuclear weapons. You know, if, if you don't attack on June 6th, if it doesn't work, it's it's another year before you can do it again. And then God knows what happens. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, Brian, when did you go to 
Uh, we were there in June, uh, this past June, um, about, two, I guess it was two weeks before I met you guys in Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were there for the, uh, we were in France for the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, we were there from the 4th until oh. the 11th. Oh, wow. I, I yeah. can't even imagine what that was like. It's um, it's it's unreal. Uh, I think they, I think the the people of Normandy are actually um, more pro-American than some Americans are at this point. You know, oh, wow. <laughs> really. <laughs> and I hate to bag on some Americans, but it's just kind of you know the world we live in today. It seems like, uh, uh, yeah, there was there were American flags everywhere. I mean, memorials, little little uh, impromptu tributes to, you know, the first division, you know, the big red ones and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the screaming Eagle icon everywhere. And uh, it was, it was something else. I mean, it really was. Well, I mean, there's a lot of sacrifice for, you know, I mean, yeah, we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, but I mean, apart from some uh, horrific, uh, horrifically, well, horrible, Oh, horrifically horrible. God, really? That's what I'm saying. That's fine. You're supposed um, to be the master of the English language of of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> ja well, I know the Japanese try to send like um, uh, hot air balloons with loaded down with bombs over, when, you know, as a last ditch effort to try and attack the U.S. But on the whole, you know, we did not take much of a hit from that in the least. No. Right. And, you know, Europe, especially England, was just, you know, took such a horrible. And you know what? It kind of, you know, it, this this story just popped into my head. I have a friend of mine um, uh, who lives in Wilmington, and uh, he's Scottish. I mean, he's American. I mean, he's been living in America, and he's an American citizen. But uh, mm -hmm. he grew up in Scotland when World War II was happening. And he was telling me one time, and I just thought that this was this was fascinating because, you know, he's a little kid going to school and he was going to school in this big drab, you know, gray, cold building. And um, a lot of the younger teachers had left to go fight in the war. So they had a whole bunch of just old, angry teachers that were in there that, you know, none of the kids seemed to like. <laughs> And um, one, and he just he talked about how horrible the school was and how he just hated. It. In fact, I think he talked about that they had outhouses that didn't have like ceilings; they didn't have roofs. So you'd be just coming out there, and of course, in Scotland, it's just you know freezing cold and stuff like that. And, um, <laughs> but uh, the Germans came. He lived near a port and bombed the area one night, and he said that a wall collapsed and killed some children and stuff like that, and it was just really horrible. But that next morning they went up and saw that uh, the school had been bombed and he was like, and of course, knowing what we know now, you know, but at the time being a little kid, he was like, wow, this Hitler must've found out how horrible this school was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I just, you know, and the thing, and, yeah, I mean, and it was just kind of oh. like, and he's like, yeah, this Hitler guy, you know, he, I guess he's not so bad. I mean, of course, now he just as a little kid. Oh, my Lord. But I, you know, and now it's just, you know, of course, he's a horrible person. And, you know, and, you know, this uh, friend of mine, Eric's his name. Um, but just as a little kid, the kind of mentality of a child during these sorts of things. I just always thought that that was a um, that was a fascinating story. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and great. and on that note, I think I need to take a quick second here to, to regather my thoughts because I'm not <laughs> sure what to think on that one. So <laughs> let's take a quick break, guys. You cool with that? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more short right after this uh, beautiful message by some really cool guy. 
Hey, back we are on the History Bros podcast talking about the great Normandy invasion known as D-Day, and uh, it's kind of heavy stuff. And uh, let's face yeah. it, yeah, it's it's not. I mean, we joke because we have terrible, whatever, good personalities, but terrible minds. I think. <laughs> well, um, real quick, because uh, some of the feedback that we got from individuals who uh, listened to our first episode talked about that in some cases we needed to kind of talk it, walk it back a little bit to explain a little bit more because sometimes we may assume that people that are listening know more sure. than they do. So when we talk about D-Day, uh, the term D-Day, what is, you know, what does that signify? It actually D means nothing. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, and if you haven't seen it, the National World War II Museum, um, recently put out uh it's called an electronic field trip and it's like an hour and a half uh video where they send four kids to to normandy um it's guys it's fantastic and if you haven't seen it look at it if you haven't used it in your classroom figure out a way to do it um i just looked at it last night it's it's fantastic um anyway but one of the tri trivia questions they asked was what does d stand for and it really does mean nothing um when the military put out the plan for this operation, uh, it was in flux, the date, because they weren't really sure when they were going because of weather. That's, you know, the famous story that they got delayed by a night. Um, they just knew that it would take place at a, at a time to be determined later, at an hour to be determined later, on a day to be determined later. So they called it H, you know, at a, at, um, at a time to be held in the future, H hour D day. Sure. So right. the, the, the term D-Day really means nothing. It's just, just a specific point in time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a weird – and actually it's broken up. Um, there's two different operations. One is op obviously you may have heard the term Operation Overlord, yes. which mm -hmm. is the amphibious assault, I think. And then Operation um, – I think it's Neptune. Yes, you are correct. Which is the uh, – all the things that led up to – overlord like the um uh no i have it backwards let's see codenamed operation neptune and often referred to as d-day it's the largest seaborne invasion in history so neptune is the invasion itself um overlord is the all-encompassing okay oh yeah. yeah 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 okay i see what you're talking about yeah Yep. Okay. And that, that, yeah. I hope that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I get what you're going with it. And, and exactly. The, we're I mean, so that's the thing you look in, even in the movie, they talk about D Day plus two, D Day plus five. You sure. know, so I mean, it seems like it, if any, so not only is it a, a date and time to be referenced in the future, but it seems like that is kind of like a timestamp to address the point of that campaign. Cause that's the thing that I right. think people forget is armies or wars aren't fought in battles. I mean, battles happen, but they're fought in campaigns, which are much bigger. That's why you have a, sure. yeah, a string of battles in the same area. It's because there's an objective to the campaign that the army is trying to, to do. The uh, civil war is notorious for that. Even the revolutionary war is notorious for that because they would go into winter barracks and they'd, they'd shut down for the winter where more modern wars, they continue to fight. Um, but, uh, exactly. So the, the overall goal here that I think if you don't know much about the battle, I mean, if you do know about the battle or, or about D-Day, you have to understand that the goal wasn't just, just to, uh, 
uh, establish a beachhead. That was the 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 first objective. But there's a series of objectives to basically clear the uh, the Germans out of France. Is my understanding, right? Yeah, um, I mean, there, and actually, there was. If you look at the history of of invasions after D Day, there was actually a one another one on uh, the south of France that kind of assisted. Uh, the Normandy push, uh, whereas the Normandy push came from uh, the north down uh, into France, there was another one later on, a couple weeks later, I believe, that was not as big, but it came up on the southern beaches to kind of push the Germans uh, away from the outer parts of France and back towards Paris and then eventually, hopefully, back towards uh, Germany. Sure. And that's actually what uh, that's actually what Patton was doing um, in December. Later, not to jump too far ahead, but in December, that's where Patton was coming from um, when the Battle of the Bulge was taking place. That's where he was pushing from was up from the south of France. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that 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 makes sense. And uh, yeah, you know, and that I mean, it, it's amazing how fate intervenes on all these things. Sure. Um, so we, we, we referenced this movie, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Hatfield, you watched it. Uh, I'm, Brian, I'm going to guess you watched it here recently because you kind of were tasked with the task of creating a review for us. I have, uh, I have seen this movie uh, well over 30 or 40 times. I'm not well, before you get started, I mean, let's, 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 let's do a comparison here. Sure. Saving Private Ryan... Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, I hope you weren't serious. <laughs> I had some kids one day say uh, we were talking about World War II, and they're like, they're like, oh, we, we went and watched Pearl Harbor. You know, it was, we got it on Netflix or something like that. And I was just kind of like, I'm sorry, <laughs> because I actually okay. The friend no. of mine, Roger Justice from college, he and I went to go see that movie because we're thinking, I, I'm not even 100% sure I knew what the movie, I mean, I knew it was going to be about Pearl Harbor. I didn't realize it's like a dollop of Pearl Harbor and the rest of just this, whatever it was. So, um, <laughs> love story. I remember I sat there watching it and uh, like I said, Roger's this huge nut uh, for World War II. His his father served in the Pacific. Sure. Um and um, so did his grandfather, as a matter of fact. And um, oh, he just sat there and he would just be kind of like sighing heavily. And I'm like, what's the matter? I said, are you OK? And he's like, you would just think with all the technological stuff that they're throwing in here that they could doctor these boats up to not look like they were built after the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're the only person that would pick that up. But I have a feeling that, you know, nowadays, I mean, I now that kind of thing ruins me when I go, you know, like sure. the whole like Jamestown sure, sure. thing that we were talking about. And yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I was going to start watching um, uh, The Last Samurai mm-hmm. with uh, Tom Cruise when it came out. I was like, because I really love Japanese history. And mm-hmm. I sat there and the first thing that they talked about is how uh, Japan was built by it was made by a sword. They say that the gods dipped the cold blade into the water. And I'm like, it wasn't a sword. It was a bejeweled spear. <laughs> and that's what I'm getting upset about. That's how judgy I was getting was yes. about the type of armory that they're, you know, using. <laughs> this is where you draw the line. This is this is ridiculous. Right. 
Yeah, I know. How dare you people? <laughs> but that's why my wife hates watching anything with me, whether it's historical-based sure. oh, or... Yeah. Uh, oh, she hates watching Law & Order with me, especially if they do something <laughs> medical. Law & Order SVU. Yeah, there's one where uh, Liv, uh, she saves somebody. She cuts... Or, she goes back into a car crash that she had gotten herself out of and then puts an IV. And I'm like, if I do that, I go to jail because it breaks my, my, yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> I was- so, okay. So going, so going back to all this, Brian, <laughs> um, if you had to choose between saving private Ryan and Pearl Harbor, it's a, that's, Pearl Harbor is a close absurd, second. That's an absurd question. That's an, as, <laughs> as, uh, that is, I, I, there are no words to answer that question. Uh, to, <laughs> I will, uh, I will gladly take the script for Pearl Harbor and use it as a single ply. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> are you saying you'd wipe oh, wow. your tushy with it? <laughs> if that's what you're inferring from that, then yes. Okay, that's what I'm well, inferring I from it. So completely alienated our Harlequin romance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, I do apologize. However. <laughs> they will get over it. Holy! All right, God. so 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 saving Private Ryan. Yeah, talk to us about that, Brian. So it's it is uh, it's it's a masterpiece. Uh, Spielberg is a genius, and there is very little that he can do to tarnish that reputation. However, oh, here we go. Here's the butt. <sighs> okay, let me start from the start. Okay, it's the first half an hour of Saving Private Ryan is quite possibly the most powerful 30 minutes you will ever, ever of anything placed on film ever. Yep. That fair? Outside of Pearl Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) Or Colin Farrell's The New World. Uh, No, Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's legit. That's personal. Mm -hmm. I I, I get it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. They strive for accuracy. They want it to be realistic. They want it to look look and feel real. They even deaden the sound so it sounds like your ears are ringing and whatnot. It's 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 perfect. Mm-hmm. And then they but... tell a story about this mission to find this kid, and they use fictional places, and they <laughs> and they don't go like it's. Not, mm. It frustrates me for as perfect as that half an hour is for as perfect as this idea is the least you could have done was it. And then again, it's based on a true story. How hard is it to throw a couple real names of towns in there? And it was, it was fictional. Which the, ta- the towns themselves were fictional. The towns they used in the movie were fictional. They, they, they were, they were not real towns. I did not know that. But then again, yeah. my French geography isn't, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's again, not, it's not très bien. It's based on a true story and, and the story is fantastic. And it, it, I just wish they would have. So here's my, here's my question. Real counts. And I get that that's stupid. No, I, it's, I, I accept it. it's not stupid. No, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I guess if they were, you know, uh, if, if they were doing something similar about, you know, U.S. history and the Civil War and, you know, they're marching towards Boogerville, Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, there would probably be, you know, some people be like, wow, I wonder where Boogerville is. But, you know, a lot of people be like, you know, that's not. So, no, I mean, that's I think it's totally legit. OK, well, so, that's that's I mean, 
for as amazing as it is, that part frustrates me. And, and I can understand that. So here's where I go with that. My question, and it's actually to uh, Mr. Spielberg. Yeah. This is a guy who obviously researched it. He had to have. He said he researched it. He said he had an army of researchers researching it. So they knew what the real real places are. And they knew, I mean, they, they can look at a map. So the question is why? And that's what I would like to know. And I'm serious on this. Did they do it because they felt like using real places would uh, somehow degrade the efforts of these men? Or if, and maybe, you know, maybe, I, don't know. I don't know. And since they weren't telling an absolutely 100% true story, because, again, it's based in truth, uh, it's based in something that happened, I guess they maybe thought that we didn't want to, uh, you know, like you said, tarnish what actually happened by claiming something happened when it didn't. I, I guess I could see that. It's just one of those things, like like you said, Jason, uh, about The Last Samurai. It's one of those little little stupid things that you focus on and you can't shake and it bothers you till the day you'll die. Right. Well, when we, when we say that it's based on a true story, though, I think yeah. we, need, uh, we need to say that, it's, that there wasn't, uh, to my understanding, there was not a, a squad that was sent off to find some guy. Um, and, and correct no, me if I'm wrong. I could be, I it, could be wrong. No, there, have been, there have been times in history where the purpose of it was that, um, you would have multiple brothers or multiple family members serving in a unit or a group that died, um, in various, and actually I think they mention uh, one, uh, set of brothers in yeah. the film, but, um, it's, there wasn't, you know, a squad. I think when you're saying that it's based on a true story, it's really like, okay, well, world war two did happen. Right. Well, no, it's, it's based on the story of the Nyland brothers. And, uh, there are four brothers that served in different branches of the war. And, um, it was thought for a time that only one had survived. They thought that the other three had died. It turns out that only two had died. One was in a camp. Um, but they sent, they, they brought, the youngest home, Frederick, uh, because his other brothers were assumed to be dead and they didn't want to send four letters home to the mother saying, hey, all four of your kids are dead. Um, that's the part that's it, that's based in fact. Mm, right. And I just and I really have to say that. Whew, that scene where I mean, for those of you who haven't watched Saving Private Ryan, spoiler alert, um, but there is a scene where um you know the the car with the the, oh, the officer and the chaplain are going out there to deliver the bad news to the mother that uh, three of yes. the four sons. Yeah. Yep. And I just you know that scene, I I sw- I'm I, I'm blubbering like just a little girl oh, watching sure. Pearl Harbor. It's I mean it's like. <laughs> The mother's sitting there and she's, you know, washing these dishes and stuff like that. And you see the car wind up this long, you know, driveway to get up to the, to the house. And she just turns away, you know, and she sees it and she realizes what's going on. And she just kind of puts the, and she turns and kind of straightens herself out and then walks over to the door because it's like, okay, I've lost one of my kids, not even knowing we right. know because obviously we know the story, 
but you know and there's no word spoken in this entire scene where she comes over and she opens the door as they come up and she and she stands there at the door kind of like you can just you can't see her face but it's right. it's like you're just she you know she's praying just keep driving there's got to be someplace else that they're going or maybe they need to turn around and this is you know whatever and then she opens the screen door and comes out and when the two men uh, get out of the car you see her just buckle and collapse because she's lost somebody and she doesn't know to what extent that is and, I, and how spielberg sets that up is just yeah. i mean i it, it's so uh it's such an amazing scene yeah it's so good and i really i'm not and i'm not sure what the procedure was back then uh i know they would have sent somebody from the war department out to deliver the letter i'm not sure if there's a priest there as well and I, th- I, th- mm. I think the priest is there in the scene to kind of signify that this is something that's bigger than one person. You know that what I mean? That could be. Like to signify this isn't just one of your kids. This is something bigger than that. Yeah. Now, it's I, an interesting thing to maybe kind of look up and, and do yeah. a little bit more research. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have to do a, a, a small brag, and it's really not something to brag about, I guess. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the Ryan brothers in the movie – uh, though it's based on the Nyland story, I think they give a, uh, a tip of the cap to five other brothers um, from my area because the Ryan brothers were all from Iowa, and it was a fictional town in Iowa. They weren't from a real town. I've looked it up. Um, but uh, God, he just screwed up all the geography, didn't he? Well, I yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember him saying they were from Boogerville, Iowa. Yeah, exactly, right, yes. exactly. Specifically Boogerville. But they, they <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do talk. I think the the one family that is mentioned is the Sullivans, right? Um, they, possibly, I don't know. I thought they Maybe. were mentioned in there, like something about the Sullivan when they when the uh, the staff is getting the notifications and the the lady comes in and talks about that and they're trying to decide what to do. I could have sworn that the Sullivans get mentioned there, but we're talking about five uh, brothers and don't ask me all their names because I don't remember. But I mean, <laughs> where they grew up is like thirty five miles from where I live right now. Uh, where, yeah, so I mean it's close, and uh, there's a, a convention center named after him down there. There's a park named after him, and, and uh, when I go on my trip out to Washington D.C., we definitely take the time to talk about those uh, five men. They were serving on the ship Juno. It was hit by a torpedo, and all five of them were on the ship. That was their kind of deal. They said we'll all serve, but we're all serving together, and unfortunately, they all end up perishing. I want to were say, they serving in different units though? But they were on the same boat. No, they were all assigned to the same boat. Oh wow! Okay. Yep. And, that's, and, an odd, that's an oddity. It is, and it, since then it's never been allowed again. I don't believe. Um, but uh, I want to say like two, two or three of them died instantly, and two of them lived. But the problem was the. Uh, I, I mean, there was like eight survivors total of all the guys that were on that ship. And it was because it took forever to, for anybody to get to them. So a lot of them starved to death, went delirious um, or, or dehydrated and actually just swam off into the ocean. Plus, they were in shark-infested waters. So all of a sudden, you hear one. I mean, so there wasn't the hypothermia issue there because the South Pacific was good and warm. But they, they would describe it as all of a sudden you hear this, and you knew that a shark just came up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, yeah. So, yeah, I well, some of the um, some some of the other behind the scenes stuff with that is um, uh, uh, some of the stuff that I had read is that the the twenty four minute opening sequence of uh, D Day um, took uh, about a month 
to film just that opening sequence because he really wanted to do this right and do it step by step. And I think it used, I'm wanting to say it used a fairly sizable chunk of the budget overall just for that opening sequence. Imagine that. <laughs> um, and it said that um, uh, Tom Sizemore yep. um, that was in it um, had been uh, dealing with uh, drug addiction and was told by uh, Spielberg that he would not tolerate any mistakes or any sort of screw ups with his, uh, with his drug addiction. And apparently uh, Sizemore told uh, the daily beast uh, in an interview that uh, Spielberg told him that if he tested positive for any drugs, that the director quote would fire me on the spot and shoot all 50 days that I worked over again with someone else. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, and you know, Spielberg, he's, he's got the clout. Yeah, he does. He could do that. Um, I really liked him in this movie too. And I'm really him and not someone else. You know, and I was thinking he did uh, an excellent job in the film heat too. Which Which what? I've never seen heat. Oh, it's, there's a, there's a big uh, bank heist scene that is, you know, Gotcha. Uh, it's 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 fantastic it's a really good movie also uh one other piece of uh information um allegedly this uh, uh this uh says that uh, garth brooks was almost in the movie really oh. yeah apparently and again i should probably double check this but wait, wait, uh, from wait. what i read wait a minute um, wait wait a minute wait a minute. Wait a minute did you get that from wait a minute <laughs> Did, did you get that from Wikipedia? No, I did not. Okay. I did not. Okay. Um, Garth Brooks almost played the role of Private Jackson, the sniper. Really? Wow. Uh, allegedly, um, he uh, Garth Brooks was originally supposed to do that, and apparently there was um, the rumor is is that Brooks didn't want to play second fiddle to Hanks in this particular case, and um, why? But. From what I, this is just again, this is just you know, uh, who maybe if somebody reads something differently, by all means, please call me out that I'm spreading gossip. <laughs> but um, you it did. Uh, it, it says that Spielberg offered him a chance to play another role of his choosing, um, and instead of a specific role, Brooks allegedly said he wanted to play the bad guy. Really? Hmm. Yeah, but. It's Saving Private Ryan, so unless it's the entire, the the entire you know Wehrmacht, I don't right. think that there's one specific. It's not like you know all of a sudden Garth Brooks hops on and goes, yeah, see, you know, and he's like you know twisting his mustache and right like the Kaiser, and you know he's got Matt Damon and he's tying him to some railroad tracks and you know that kind of stuff. But... Um, <laughs> let's, let's see Tom Hanks coming to get you now, see? <laughs> and meanwhile, you see someone off to the side with one of those little, you know, Western pianos. Oh, my God. But, um, oh, and one other thing. I, this, again, this may have been before your time, but Probably. around the time that Saving Private Ryan and then... Um, the uh, then uh, Band of Brothers came out. Uh, PlayStation released a game called Medal of Honor Frontline. Yep, yep. That was um, at the time. 
I mean, you did the the D-Day invasion and, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is that the technology of the time, that was mind blowing. That was yeah. like, wow, they've really like, you know, pulled out all the stops. Nowadays, in comparison, um, it obviously seems a little, uh, a little thin or a little, I don't know, whatever. But at that time, it was just like, that was like, I mean, this is, it was it a big deal. It completely blew your mind. It was amazing. I don't know if a video game tangent at all, but. Uh, the folks at EA who made Medal of Honor actually made another Medal of Honor game called Airborne Assault, yep. which is where you jump in um, on D-Day, and it's a story mode. But the, one of the interesting things about it is it came out before Call like the, the modern versions like Call of Duty and things like that. Um, one of the interesting things about that game is that you train to jump out of a, out of a C-47, and your game does not begin at a specific point when you jump out of the airplane your game begins where you land really which which is not like any of the current you know first person shooters you so you get to choose out. when you jump out of the uh, out of the plane your, your your mission starts as you jump out of the plane and you have to complete your obje- objective based on where you land it could be three oh, kilometers wow. from your objective it could be 14 kilometers from your objective it's kind of like um and i was telling my son about this the other day and he said so it's kind of like Fortnite, because oh god oh god, and, oh, god. And, and, and i know i get it but hear me out Fortnite is a game where you jump in and you just kind of go where you where you land and i was like huh i guess it kind of is you know, strange. I've never played Fortnite. I've had students that are just like completely just nuts about it. Now I know yeah. what a sixteen-year-old just won like a a few million dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, here I am trying to pay off my student loans. <laughs> and who and, knew? You know, a million, uh, you know, a few million, you know, bucks playing video games. I just, I, you know, I, what, what am I? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Here I am trying to teach children. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but anyway, man. getting back to the, I mean, again, it was this, this was a, a vastly different um, than all of the first person shooters that have come out since. Um, but it never caught on. Just never was one of those things that was like, huh. Right. Anyway. You know, here's the thing. We talk about the movies that have come out. We talk about the trip that you took, Brian. We talk about the video games that have come about about this. What if D-Day doesn't go the way it did? Well, and I think we touched on a little bit uh, a little while ago when we said that if it didn't work, what, you know, what happens? Mm-hmm. And, and I mentioned that you don't get another shot at this. Um, you know, the, the Nazis are working on nuclear weapons. They're working on uh, tricking out their V-2 rockets. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if D-Day doesn't work and you want to try something else, you know, it takes you six months to a year to plan it and to, to execute it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have that kind of time. I don't know if the allies have that time, um, before Hitler has some sort of mega weapon. Exactly. Essentially, if it doesn't work, Hitler gets a mulligan. <laughs> sure. Basically. I mean, not to oversimplify it, but that's... Well, see, it's, it's 1944, so the war's been going on for a while. If it did fail, I mean, the Russians probably still would have made that that side of the uh, the the front collapse. 
more than likely. Now, but... when was when was Stalingrad? When was all that stuff? Was that forty? Oh goodness! Now you're gonna ask me dates. Ugh. Yeah, no, I'll look it up here. Hold on a second. All right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, but the question—that was the whole thing—is that the whole point of the invasion was because forty-two, the... forty-three. For, you're right. So the whole point, though, was to keep that two-front fight going because then Hitler could not commit all of his troops to one or the other. And, and so the fact that they, you know, if D-Day, if the initial invasion does not work, think about all the resources that Hitler still had to have consumed in the south towards France, or in the west, I should say, towards France. And could he have taken a bunch of that and reinforced his his fight on the Russian front. I really think that the Germans probably would have, it, it probably would have taken a little bit longer time. Uh, I think that the, uh, the invasion would have definitely weakened uh, the Germans, even if it had failed. But I do think that uh, Nazi Germany would have eventually collapsed because the, um, how many um, soldiers, I mean, the I there was a, 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 a there's a YouTube video I'll need to post it on our um, uh, on our uh, Facebook page but that talks about the sheer numbers of people that died and yeah. the Russians I can't even begin to fathom that there's anybody left in Russia with the amount of people that they, they just threw yeah. at this conflict oh, yeah. right. And I don't know if, and the thing is, is that the Russians have a knack for doing this. Like back in uh, early 2000s, there were, um, I'm wanting to say there were some terrorists in Moscow that took over a, 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 like an opera house because of the whole Chechnya thing that was going on. And they, um, it was, there was a, a performance taking place and these guys came in and they put the entire place on lockdown. People were forced to use the orchestra pit as a toilet. <laughs> um, they had bombs strapped to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then uh, word got out, and the, of course, the news shows up. And then all of a sudden, you wind up seeing like Spetsnaz and, you know, um, kind of their SWAT teams just kind of casually wander into this theater. And you're thinking, there's, you know, terrorists and all this kind of stuff. And it's because they pumped it full of a gas oh, that basically put everybody to sleep. And it wound up killing a number of people, especially elderly people, oh, because they pumped so much in here. And there were oh, so wow. many people that were injured because of the, the pumping into the gas um, that they had to bring school buses to load people up because <laughs> they didn't have enough ambulances. Wow. Wow. And the, the, the Russian military, this is from what I can remember – um, wouldn't tell or took a long time telling the hospitals what the gas was so that they would know how to treat the people that they were uh, pulling out. Interesting. Huh. And <laughs> so the Russians have always had kind of like a, a relatively flexible view of <laughs> um, the importance of the life of their people. Right. And um, Stalingrad was one that, uh, which again, uh, enemy at the gates. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which the the movie itself was I, at the time it was I don't know as I've come back to watch it um, it's been kind of like uh, but sure. I, I went and bought the book because of the film 
And the film covers like three pages of the entire book. The rest of it is, you know, about this, you know, it's, and the thing is, is that it's not a hundred percent sure that there was, you know, a, a sniper battle or whatever that was going on from the research that I've done, but sure. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, um, I don't know why I needed to go off on that entire tangent, but I guess since we're talking about, you know, World War II movies and there you, there um, you go. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, we have gone. Oh, my Lord. We're uh, well over an hour now here. Uh, we probably should let these people get back to uh, their, their regular scheduled lives. Uh, we do appreciate <laughs> <laughs> their joining us tonight. Well, just as long as we can uh, wrap this one up as awkward and clumsy as we did the last one. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, oh, yeah, I will. I will uh, stand in front of them. We've the... raised the bar. We have sure. raised. We, you know, we set a bar on this one. So, right. I, I, should I say by now? What's that? <laughs> should I peace out? Bye. No, not yet. Not yet. Not, no, no. Wait, 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 guys. Wait, 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 wait. We got, we got to like do some self promotion here first. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about um, uh, social media. Absolutely. Sure. What do you want to say about it? Um. Well. Uh, <laughs> kids, kids shouldn't use it. Let's say that. <laughs> Okay, so are we kids? Because I don't know that we should be using it either. Yeah, I just right. said kids shouldn't use that. I sound like I'm an old man yelling at kids to get off my lawn. <laughs> I have become that person. I, yes. Back, yes was, was back when I was a kid, we didn't have that kind of stuff. I mean, it's weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> as soon as this is over, I'm going to go into my bedroom, and I'm going to apologize to my wife. <laughs> Why is that? Because she she married a crotchety old fart. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, oh but seriously, uh, <laughs> social media. You can catch us on Facebook. You can catch us on Twitter. You can. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, just uh, search for History Bros Pod, and uh, you'll find us. Ah, without a doubt. I, I we got to give a, a huge shout out to our social media manager, at least our Instagram manager, uh, who, <laughs> is, who almost snapped your uh, your arm off during a conversation <laughs> that we were having the other day. I like to talk about things like that, but yes, I yes, swear I, I don't think I've laughed that hard in a long time. I he was pseudo threatening me, and I haven't laughed that hard. Um, <laughs> For, for everybody that was listening, we were just having kind of like a little powwow on um, trying out these new, uh, since we had gotten some feedback about uh, sound levels and whatnot. And so we were all kind of talking and um, uh, we started <laughs> sharing memes and uh, and um, uh, Brian's son, who's uh, helping out uh, managing the, uh, the the Instagram account, was wanting to see some of these, and there a, a conflict ensued that we could only hear. And uh, it was uh, the only thing that I could try and compare it to is take one of the scenes of the film Gladiator and just close your eyes. All I there was know a tiger in there too. I don't know what that was about. Were well, you not entertained? I don't oh, I was entertained. <laughs> the thing about it is, you hear this. I'll snap it off. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yes. So everybody heard. Everybody who was on the phone call heard my son threatened me. That's right. Uh huh. You heard it. <laughs> so when do we need to have our depositions in for you? Uh, my, my attorneys will be contacting you. Fair enough. Ah, we got your back, Guildmacher. What can I say? Thanks. Appreciate that. Oh, man. <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure for uh, to to get together with you guys and talk yes. about this for episode number two. Yep, absolutely. And uh, look forward to uh, us getting together and doing this again. Absolutely. And I tell you what, if you're out there listening, you want to hear us talk about something specific, uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to sure. hear. You know, if there's, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't mean we're going to listen to you, but we'll. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if nothing else, we might make a hearty joke about it, or not. And if not I guess we'll not. Make a terrible joke about it. Oh, there fine. you go. Whatever. Well, we, we... I, I, I put my money on the terrible. <laughs> I rely <laughs> on Hatfield for the being funny because I kind of suck at it. So uh, <laughs> I'm good at awkward. I can do that. Oh, pudding. <laughs> but hey, one one thing we do want from our listeners, uh, you know, if you like what you're hearing and want to help us help us out at all, uh, definitely like and share the uh, the podcast. Let your your friends know about it. Tell them they should sure. listen to it. Uh, help us get this thing spread out there. Um, I am motivated by fame, so that's good for me. These other two, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure Hatfield wants to expand on his Wikipedia page so we can talk about I, this. I've too. already achieved fame. <laughs> Wow. wow. I, can't, I, I, I can't even go to the sprouts down here without nobody noticing me. Oh. Is this the part where I say goodbye? Is this the part? <laughs> All right, guys. I mean, I sit there and I'm haggling over, you know, organic avocados and I'm like, damn it. Don't you people know who I am? <laughs> you know, I got a great line about that. It was a gentleman. Okay, okay. Since we're talking about this, let me just throw my little <laughs> kind of thing out there. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, so I did have um, – I'm going to sound so just oh, – I'm going to hate myself for even talking about this. But I did have um, – I was in a, a Showtime series called Homeland. And Damian Lewis, who played Captain Winters in Band of Brothers, was also in that series. And I had the opportunity. I was walking out. Uh, we were going to go to the set, and Damian Lewis comes out and he talks to the the hair and makeup guy, asking him if he can get a haircut. And I'm sitting there going, "That's Captain Winters." <laughs> I mean, I was like, it was kind of like you know, you know, just Homer Simpson, you know, just like that. Yeah. And I wanted so bad to like just say, "I really love Band of Brothers," but I, I just I couldn't bring myself to. I've had bad experiences with trying to meet you know people of fame and like talk to them and uh, i haven't had so i was just like so and to this day i still kick myself from mm. for not having done that so but since and now that i know that story i'm gonna kick you too yeah oh well you know there you go i've got plenty of stories and i got plenty of butt so just <laughs> kick and kick and kick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, as you can tell, the uh, well, it's getting deep around here, uh, kind of like the water in, in St. Louis right now. But uh, Ooh, too soon, too soon. Oh, sorry, sorry, That's sorry. Harsh. That was yeah. Well, we have the same issues here. Not right now, but we we've had it. So um, anyway, uh, with that, uh, I suppose we should wrap things up for this week. And any other final thoughts before we take off? No. Uh, thanks to all those who. Uh, 
brave listening to this nonsense, and uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. And in all sincerity, uh, since we've been talking about D-Day and uh, World War II, just, you know, all the people that at that age, the late teens, early 20s, being put into those situations that, you know, we can't even sort of fathom, you know, thank you guys for your service. Yep, you know, all that's as that uh, the greatest generation, you know, is slowly, you know, winding down. Exactly. Without a doubt. Yep. And on that high note, way to go, me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you guys have a good one. We'll talk to you and we'll talk to everybody else out there listening here in a week. Have yourselves a good one. See ya. Peace out. Deuces. She did it again. <laughs> you got a problem, dude. Got a problem. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Just- Dude, wait, you said Deucin. Did you say Deucin? No, I said Deuces. Deuces. <laughs> is, is that the German version? Deucin? I mean, I don't know. What, 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 oh, my God. <sighs> and on that Me. note, have a nice night, people. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>